From the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. I want to feel just a little, just a little, just a little. Put my heart in the middle, in the middle, in the middle. Friday, July 5th, 2019, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios, on the ones and twos, my illustrious brother, Chandler Strang. <laughs> Switching around. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> on the Skype line from Nashville, Tennessee, Tyler Huckabee. Hey, everybody. And our roving reporter today, calling That's in right. from New York, Jesse Carey. That's right. Visiting the in-laws, heading down to the Jersey Shore. In, you know, as soon as we wrap this, I will be on the highway down the turnpike to the shore. So this is a technically our Jersey Shore episode, I think. I think this counts this year. You know, Our annual. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Jesse on Skype. And he's already got the gel in his hair. It's spiked straight up. And he uh, apparently went like, bronzing like this morning. Yeah, <laughs> like a hedgehog. That's right. And what and what you guys can't see is that my entire upper body is covered with new tribal tattoos. Uh, so I'm very excited about the new ink. Going to unveil it today. Uh, I got my American flag. It, it's I got new board shorts. They are half American flag, half Italian flag. So I'm very excited to uh, be soaking up the sun. Speaking of tribal tattoos, I saw something uh, the other day. I wanted to get you guys' read on. I wanted I wanted to bring this to the experts. Experts to run, run it up the, the tribal, tribal the tribal, run it up the tribal tattoo. You know, I've got I've got sort of a fondness for bad yeah. tattoos. It's one of my one of my bad day Googles. Is like you know what I need to I need to take a breather. I need to <laughs> sit back a little bit and I need to Google bad tattoos and just let, just like let, just let the waves of schnod and fruit wash over me a little bit. Hey, at least I don't have permanent uh, fake crooked eyebrows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look like I'm permanently <laughs> confused. <laughs> Because I've seen those. Whenever I have a bad day, I'm like, at least I'm not this person who has permanently confused, permanently confused expression tattooed on their face. Forever. But this is what I saw in the wild. This wasn't a Google. This is this. This came to me. Okay. Um, and it was. And yeah. It was. It was a. It was a guy, and he was wearing shorts and sandals, and that's the only way I was able to get the full, almost the full picture. But I, I was not able to see the full thing for reasons that will become apparent. So it started down on his ankles. And it was a, it was a brontosaurus. It was a dinosaur standing around like its four legs were around his own feet. And then the leg went all the way up his leg and the neck snuck up his shorts. And I have reason to believe that the head may have ended in an, in a, along, along the backside of his butt. And I think that that would be, and it was very big. It was very detailed. This was not like a cartoon. This was like Jurassic Park level, like Steven Spielberg okay, looking. Hold on, hold on, time out real quick. I want you to continue. But what we know right now is this was not just a bad decision one no. night out. Oh, no. Where oh, no. Oh, no. This, wasn't, this wasn't you're out with the bros and you woke up the next morning and you have the Monster Energy logo and red, white, and blue right. on your shoulder. Right. This no. is This was premeditated. This was, this was, was thought through. Multiple sessions. Okay, continue. I would be surprised if it was one session. I don't think unless, unless this man has extraordinary tolerance for pain, uh, which given his uh, his decision making skills is not impossible. Uh, but this was so I was watching that. So I it was definitely like a choice. This is a big 
choice that you say for the rest of my life, this is going to be, I'm going to leave people wondering. I didn't see all the way up. I don't know, but that would be, my guess would be that there's a brontosaurus face tattooed on this guy's butt. <laughs> is there a version of this that is like, is there a person you can think of in your life? You're like, you know what? That's just who he is. That's just how, that, that's just how he, that's. <laughs> oh, that's that, Phil, that, man. That, 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 Phil that's just classic, loves brontosaurus. Classic Steve for you. Exactly. My guess, <laughs> my guess is that it that. started out, you know, he probably has an affinity for that, you know, that period of history. And, sure. and, and, and it's probably started out with the head on the left cheek. Oh, that's, that's my, interesting. My thought that's is that it's that. <laughs> and, then, and then over the years, it's like, you know what? I need to just go for it. I need to just do it. And he talked himself into extending it down the leg. Yeah, and that's true because it could have started out kind of a secret. I hadn't thought about that. Like, this is just my little gift to myself. And, but, but then he was like, you know what? I'm going for it. Like, he finally... <laughs> Every year, I'm going to add a new body yeah. part to this dinosaur. And he just kept going, session after session, just a little bit, year after year, until finally he's like, oh, no, I got the full... Now it's just weird if I don't do the full dinosaur. Right. Because I got to have it. <laughs> Once it peaks out of the shorts, you got to go. You're, you're in. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah, want it. Yeah. So that, it, was, it was good. Here, here's... Okay, since we're, we, you know, we're off to the races talking about bad tattoos, just like we all planned on for today. This is the episode we're rolling out our 100th issue. It's a giant milestone. And we decided to dedicate the most important part of the show to bad tattoos, which I support. I want to talk about one that I had a dilemma with the other day. I was doing the same thing. I ended up on a bad tattoo listicle, right? And mm, sure. just this is just in my, you know, while I'm second screening, I'm watching The Office, trying to wind down for bed and getting some laughs looking at bad tattoos right and i see one it's clearly took place you know was taken at some kind of music festival but it was like an amphitheater or something where they had that big mountain seating and there's a guy shirtless obviously uh sitting on the grassy hill there's people all around him and he's got a back piece which is a i mean from shoulder to waistline okay takes up his whole back and it is jesus coming through the clouds playing a bass guitar not even an electric guitar it was a very intentional decision that for some reason this jesus was was coming back to the second coming was happening and it wasn't ironic like it looked like this guy took i mean this was a piece of art okay this wasn't like a, another a crappy, one of those another one of those like what like Multiple sessions, potentially, definitely oh, had to talk to the artists through this. Like, here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so it's Jesus coming through the clouds, the second coming, shoulder to, to waist, playing bass guitar. I have so many questions about it. But like, one, like, why does he need to be playing an instrument when he comes back down? Two, it, bass. What a weird decision. It, any other instrument would have made more sense. But like. Like if Jesus is coming through, I expect a trumpet. I could expect a guitar solo. I could expect drums. But what you don't expect is it's impossible to sound cool with just the bass. Like if the if the skies open up and this is this is the the moment that his bride has been waiting two thousand years for, we don't expect we don't expect slapping the bass. Yeah, Seinfeld. You know, why aren't trumpets? Here's I got it. I know what happened he obviously is a bassist obviously he's mm -hmm. in a band at mm -hmm. some point yeah. and is a bassist yeah. at that point or in that season of life he got a big old bass guitar on his back <laughs> yeah okay I, I, okay, so, okay. So, uh, it started with the bass started, it started with, the, with bass. the bass and then he found he found faith he found our lord and savior jesus christ he came to faith yeah. later 
So this is a good said, story. How ways. can I, how can I commemorate my faith in a way that would, I know I'm going to add the Jesus to the base. And it's a personal connection that he has to, to our Lord and savior. I, I like this theory. He is, he is like, it's just like a really passionate bass guy. Yeah. Gets a sweet, realistic bass. Yeah. And when he gets saved, it's like a dramatic salvation too. Yeah, right. This isn't yeah. one. This oh, is yeah. the road of a man. This about this a gutter. Is the, oh yeah. The, oh yeah. yeah. This is, he is that guy in that painting we talked about where Jesus is behind him, like lifting him up, pulling the heroin needle out yes. of his arm. Yes. He's, su- he's such a bad dude. He's got tarot cards on the table, yes. a loaded pistol, a switchblade <laughs> and nunchucks hanging on the doorknob behind him yeah. and Jesus lifted him out of that right. and the only way that he could show his dedication to his new faith yes. is to build a realistic Jesus coming through the clouds around the pre-existing base. Yes. That's the only theory that makes any sense. Yes, Cameron. I agree. I would really like for there to be some sort of, you know, the, that Christian art, that kind of kitschy Christian art in which there'd be like a physician and G, but Jesus is like reaching his hands around and he's the one doing the actual, well, we talked about the heroin needle, obviously. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's, yeah. there's more benign versions of it than just heroin though. <laughs> I feel like there is a market out there for bass player like a painting of a bass player but jesus you can kind of see jesus's hands peeking in the robes reaching around then <laughs> plucking through, the, through the his strings. like through, yeah through <laughs> his like going out shirt his stripy button-up shirt and he's the one doing the, the sweet bass riffs on sunday morning for the worship band or you can even do he could do a full set he could be in the drum behind that little plastic drum cage you just see a little bit of jesus's hands with jesus the is playing <laughs> every instrument in the praise band yeah I mean, it's like the poem you know I, all of a sudden i saw two you know the two there was only one set of footprints that's the reason i he was carrying me it was like all of a sudden i was doing the e minor uh scale and i realized it was jesus slapping the bass riff yeah where were you in the minor key when we had to do the key change that we weren't ready for my son my son that was when i was actually doing the licks right there for you my man bro (laughs) The, uh, the other conflict i came across when i saw this tattoo I was like, well, this has to be a web slice on our on relevantmagazine.com. And the thing was, I was sitting there on my computer. It's like 10 o'clock. I was like, I got to write this up. It's too funny. And I was sitting there and I rewrote the headline 15 times. I'm like, there's no headline that works for this. Here's a guy with a tattoo of Jesus slapping the bass. What works? There's nothing newsy about this. This is clearly a couple year old picture. It would just be a weird flex for us to throw up that slice. I'm not saying I won't do it. I'm not saying on a slow day, I've not been holding it in my pocket and be like, Tell, we need a little traffic here, man. I think it's time. I think it's time to pull up that ace up our sleeves. You know what I'm talking about? The that rando in the cutoff jean shorts with the back piece with Jesus slapping the bass. You know? Well, did Despite this beginning, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, rapper Tadashi joins us uh, for a very interesting conversation about the state of the church and where we're going. It's really, it's really fascinating. It's part of a larger thing that we're doing in the 100th issue of Relevant. And so guess what? This week, the 100th issue of Relevant debuts, and we're going to tell you all about it. We're very excited, and that's coming up later. So we have two, uh, two segments coming up. It'll be fun. All right, well, moving the show along. Stay tuned. Up next, it's the hot list. You're listening to By Benico. The song is It's Not True Love. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Fits in the Tantrums with all the feels. Well, today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. 
Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Creating a site with Squarespace is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with a click of a mouse. You can even design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates, customizable settings, and more, all without a single plugin. Including all the tools you need to track inventory, process orders, and send custom emails in one intuitive interface, Squarespace Commerce allows you to understand every aspect of your business. And right now, Squarespace is offering relevant podcast listeners a special deal. You can go to squarespace.com slash relevant for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your site, use the offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I've used Squarespace for years and highly recommend it. Well, it's time for... It's the hot list. The hot list. It's just- Man, it would have been better if you made one that had a prominent bass line. <laughs> it should just be. It should just be. The outro song this week has to just be a bass riff. <laughs> <laughs> the Seinfeld. The Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah jesus coming from heaven with the seinfeld theme playing doesn't really strike the terror in the hearts of oh, the, yeah. the, those yeah. that are about is, to be judged vanquished. enemies of god fear this <laughs> come forth for the white throne judgment <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly that's got to be the outro song today. Uh, all right, coming in number five this week. Uh, uh, well, it's a, it might be happening. A Breaking Bad movie could be happening quote soon. About a week and a half ago, both Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston, who obviously starred uh, as Walt White and Jesse Pinkman in the acclaimed TV series, tweeted a mysterious picture of a donkey accompanied by the word "soon." No explanation was given. But there's been some industry rumors that a Breaking Bad movie was in the works and would be, would be released to Netflix. Considering that Walt White died at the end of the series, or at least appeared to, it's been unclear how or if he would be involved in the movie. However, the matching donkey picture seems to suggest that somehow he'd be involved. Now, both actors have posted a new image of a duo crossing a river, and it seems clear that both will be in the film. But even more exciting than the image of the duo appearing to cross a river is the caption even sooner. What we do know is that series creator Vince Gilligan is involved and the plot of the film will quote, track the escape of a kidnapped man and his quest for freedom. So there you go. I, I, I'm like cautiously excited for this. Cause I love better call Saul. I love that. There's like a, you know, this sort of like breaking bad universe, but I, I'm like, you know, it's pretty clear, obviously, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched Breaking Bad from six years ago, it seemed pretty evident that Walt White died at the end. The the the, the movie wouldn't work as a prequel, because if you've watched Breaking Bad, the, it, it, it is a deep origin story. You know, both of the characters evolve greatly, so it wouldn't work as a prequel. And, you know, so the only logical explanation that is that like it's like the ghost of Walt White or it's like some sort of figment of Jesse Pinkman's imagination. That makes me not so excited because the great thing about Breaking Bad, I feel like, was their dedication to realism. You know, like it's not like the Sopranos when they, you know, whack a guy, you know, you you never understand like, well, how do they get rid of the body and the evidence? So Breaking Bad, that's a three episode arc to try to take care of those details. So how they're going to reincorporate Walt White into the film 
I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little nervous about this. How do you guys feel? I Well, first of all, about The Sopranos, I don't know why I am, but right now I'm rewatching the entire series. And when they, as you so eloquently stated, whack a guy, yeah. <laughs> they do they do detail how they dispose of the body. Just FYI. It, it, like all but but but, but but not in the depth that Breaking Bad would. Like Breaking Bad, like melting a drug dealer was like the half the first season. Like getting rid of a body in the basement. You know, they weren't as efficient at it as That's the Sopranos were just better. At <laughs> it. The Sopranos true. knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I th- so I think Vince Gilligan figured out who he was as a show creator as the show figured out what it was. Right. I mean, we know yeah. like the first two seasons of Breaking Bad. He he thought. It was a dark comedy. I mean, he just talked about this. Like, I thought I was writing a dark comedy, which is why he cast Malcolm in the Middle's dad. You know, he, you know, it was like this, like, like weird dark comedy. And then they figured out, oh, no, wait, Brian Cranston is one of the best dramatic actors of a generation. <laughs> and they figured out, like, we're not going kitsch with this. But if you look at some of the casting, like some of the characters are kind of cartoonish and stuff. It's yeah. because they thought it was a different show at the beginning. He figured out what the show was. Now, some of the casting didn't make sense, but, you know, I mean, he figured it out seasons three and beyond, as we all know, it became the best show, one of the best shows ever made. I, I think he proved to me that he that this movie will be good because Better Call Saul is good. I agree if, with that. If Better yeah. Call Saul was a disappointment, I wouldn't want a movie. But Better Call Saul is as good as the best of Breaking Bad. It might even be like when all said and done, Better Call Saul might be a better show than Breaking Bad. Well, because he didn't have to figure it out. He started at 10. (laughs) You know, he started at great, you know, and continued it. And that's what I'm going like. He's at his peak right now. Vince Gilligan, the show writers and creators, directors, they're at their peak. So how could this be bad? And the the thing is, I've heard I've heard even like as soon as like the coming weeks, this movie could be out like that. They've been doing it all in uh, in secret. And I've heard rumors that we could even see it as soon as like next weekend. I don't know if that's going to happen, but obviously it's been under production for a while. Um, you know, the, and so we'll see. We'll see. I don't understand. Well, we will. I don't understand the the strategy of making a high budget, excellent movie only for Netflix. I don't get why Netflix, if Netflix Studios wants to own it and own the catalog long term, fine. But why wouldn't they release it? Why wouldn't Netflix release it to theaters? Like, cause that, that, that movie could make a hundred million dollars, which is money in Netflix's bank. And then Netflix owns yeah. it after it's in the theaters. Why don't they release it to theaters? I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. I, I, don't, I don't understand that with a couple of their, like there was, you know, Brad Pitt was in that movie that I think it was about general Petraeus. It was, you know, <clears throat> a biopic of a prominent political figure Starring arguably, you know, the most well-known actor or at least, you know, on a very short list of the most well-known actors in Hollywood releases right to Netflix. No one watches it, you know, like if that would have I mean, you look at some of these Adam McKay, you look at like the Dick Cheney movie or something. I mean, at the very minimum, like you said, Cameron, that's going to bring in even if if that even the Brad Pitt one's a little niche. That's still going to bring 50, 60 million dollars over the course of theatrical run. What they're burying it on Netflix. A lot of people never even knew that movie was ever released. You're telling me I apparently doesn't fit my algorithm because I've never even heard of it. So like it's crazy. Like why wouldn't Netflix just throwing this this investor money at these trying to raise its own value, its its own like potential value, 
because uh, there's no way they're recouping. I don't no. think you could possibly, no matter how many subscribers, because the, the rumor is nobody knows. They haven't released the numbers yet. But the rumor is they have yet to turn a profit as a company. No, that's right. No, no, no. They, that's not a rumor. That's fact. They um, Hold on. I can tell you right now. Okay. So so the long answer is, uh, or sorry, short answer is since t- 2011, when they started you know, doing streaming, Netflix has not had any positive cash flow. They, they, lose, they lose money every year. Um, it started back in 97, though, remember, with DVD mailings and stuff like that. But when they pivoted their business model... So last year, yeah, they spent, they spent $15.7 billion on content and they brought in... They have 130 million subscribers. Uh, they lost over $2 billion last year. That is insane. And, and the thing is, like, it's still... Netflix stock is still not cheap. Like, for, for a company that bleeds every year... You know, they still, they, you know, obviously they're it's still worth a lot of money. By the way, that movie is called War Machine and it released in 2017. And it's about the four star general Glenn McMahon. You may remember he was the one who uh, after had he had kind of like some controversial quotes in a Rolling Stone profile, ended up losing his job. But but anyway, but but movies like that. Again, you got Brad Pitt in a, in a political, politically charged biopic war movie, and you just bury it. And two years later, people are like, oh, that happened? Yeah, I don't understand their marketing strategy at all with a lot of stuff. I wonder if they're just dumping so much money into the into what they into getting these names and getting these feet. They don't have a whole lot of money left over for marketing because the only one I ever see marketed at all is Stranger Things. Yeah, and exactly. When you look at actual like marketing effort, like traditional marketing efforts, like you know banner ads or people guests going on the Tonight Show or something. Yeah, you see it a lot for Stranger Things, but there's been other really interesting shows that they just drop silently. And if you don't happen to stumble upon them, I know, Cameron, me and you both liked uh, Huge in France, which is it's sort of in the vein of like, uh, you know, a Louis or a Marin where it's like a middle aged comedian, um, you know, trying to kind of figure out his career. But it has this twist because he was he was popular in France, but no one knew him in the United States. And he's coming to reconnect with his family. A weird, weird show. But also, I thought super funny, took some unexpected, dark, very interesting turns throughout the whole series. But if you didn't stumble upon it, how would you even know it's on Netflix? Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Netflix also accounts for over a third of all internet bandwidth in the U.S., uh, wow! Yeah, during That's the evenings, wild. It, uh, more than YouTube, Amazon, Hulu combined, and in, in the evening hours. That's crazy. Thirty thirty six point five percent of all downstream internet bandwidth so is Netflix. the internet is Netflix by like a, a substantial margin. Then coming in number four this week, the first trailer for HBO's upcoming televangelism series called The Righteous Gemstones was released. Uh, so according to the official synopsis, the comedy is, uh, uh, quote, centers around a world famous televangelist family with a long tradition of deviance, greed and charitable work. The series stars Danny McBride, John Goodman, Adam Devine and Edie Patterson. Uh, here's a clip. Your ability to accept me for the sinner I am only speaks to your greatness. I stole that money fair and square. Now we need to figure out a meaningful way in which we can divvy it up. How about we give half to the church and the other half we split 50-50? 70-30. Church gets nothing, 60-40. Deal. Deal. I had a very hard time finding a usable clip. That, 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 <laughs> but I felt like that, like, you got the gist of it. They're criminal televangelists. Because as with any Danny McBride vehicle, it is laced with, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to say it. 
very hilarious profanity throughout the trailer. The trailer, <laughs> the trailer was a hard R here. Was a hard R. But there was one scene in the trailer where you know John Goodman is evidently like the patriarch of this televangelism uh, family. With you know he's sort of the oral Roberts to um, uh, Danny McBride's Richard Roberts, right? And and Danny McBride throws this giant like uh, mass baptism, and you know the implication is the only. <laughs> place they could find was like this big pool at a water park and during the baptism someone turns on the wave pool and everyone's like oh, everyone in their white robes is almost drowning i'm not gonna lie the lights are going there's like an air horn siren like lifeguards are jumping in the water white robes i'm not gonna lie i belly laughed i laughed that's funny but cameron you and i were talking about this i think earlier this i sent it to you earlier this week and we got to talking about about this Cameron had and, some misgivings yeah and, and I think they're very valid because the opportunity was to really to really like offer meaningful commentary about you know kind of televangelism and sort of like or, the crooked theology oh yeah how money but, has infiltrated the you know ministry you know I, yeah. I thought it could be it shine a light on that a little bit my issue was primarily the Hollywood issue of yeah have has anybody involved in the creation of this show ever gone to a mega church? <laughs> ever attended? Ever watched Christian television? And because the 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 tropes are so not even believable remotely. Because the way they 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 frame this family is very much like a mafia thing. There's a there's like a shot in the trailer of like the bank vault with the money stacked up yeah. and the greed, and yeah. the corruption, the whatever. And I'm going. You've lost. You've lost the opportunity to like actually lampoon like the wealthy televangelists here because it's not mafia. I just don't feel like. I just think they missed an opportunity. Now that's not what they're trying to do. They're not trying to yeah. do commentary. I get that. Fine, but it's like that. I, I said to you guys, it's like that scene in that movie Four Christmases where like they attended the Christmas Eve service and it was like the pastor was wearing the priest collar. It was lights and lasers like, uh, like jock jams. And then like there was a black gospel choir and like they did like nativity. Like they, it just made no sense. Like this was not in any realm, any a possible, I know it's supposed to be comedy, but it's just like, have, have any of these writers ever gone to a church before? Yeah, it's just little details. But Cameron, if if even the, if the Southern Baptist minister isn't wearing a collar like a Catholic priest, how will they know he's the pastor, Cameron? Right. Exactly. How will, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> so that's the it problem sounds... that they yeah yeah. Though I will say this, despite despite the you know disregard for kind of accurate depictions and commentary, there is like a brief clip while you know different little like a montage in the trailer, and one is Danny McBride looking right at the camera wildly swinging a switchblade, and I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. You got Danny McBride dressed as a televangelist for some reason, wildly swinging a switchblade at somebody. That's funny. Like it's just subjectively. You know, funny. it's like back in the day where, like, you know, they they it, all the dialogue on TV for for a female character was written by men, and it wasn't like relatable. It wasn't accurate. They it was like stereotypes yeah. that that just like almost like offensive. And I'm going, I'm not offended by this. I get what they're trying to do, but like just just have one person in the room who would go. Well, no, actually, don't. That's a mega church that they don't wear collars. You know, just like just yeah. do that one yeah. detail. Like yeah. they would do that for anybody else. You know, like any other 
you know, character in their movie, but Christians for some reason just get painted with this massively broad stroke. That's like, there, there are some, there are some exceptions. I remember I was surprised watching, I know the show has fallen on sort of poor favor for good reason with house of cards, but I remember their depictions of church in house of cards feeling yeah. very lived in. I was like this, this somebody here has been to this, to a church before uh, and crashing this feels right. Cra- crashing. crashing. Oh, of course yeah. crashing. Yeah. Yeah, be, be, because, crashing. But, but Pete was in the mission where one, one other show I want to get your th- thoughts on in this realm, because I, I felt like when we talked to Ira glass about come Sunday, they seem to take real care to try to depict the, the whole thing with accuracy, everything from like, um, you know, Martin Sheen's office really looked like, uh, like a building from ORU in the seventies. Do you, did you feel like that movie kind yeah. of captured it more accurately? Yeah. Cause I mean, they even, I mean, even the, the church that the Carlton Pearson's church, it, it wasn't Carlton Pearson's church, but it was about that size. And it was, it looked like, what the church looked like. I mean, they did a great job depicting the culture and the detail and stuff like that. And again, we're not trying to like say, Hey, it's gotta be a documentary or whatever. Like it's fine. If you're making a comedy, whatever, I'm just going have the care. You wouldn't do this. You wouldn't have like, Oh, there's an Italian guy. So we're just going to like make him really like pizza and have a big mustache. And I mean, you wouldn't <laughs> He's do a that. Plumber. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. Right. I mean, yeah, so why do, why do that with Christians? I don't get it. Yeah. But. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Coming in at number three this week, NF released a new single from his highly anticipated upcoming album. It's due out in late August. It's called The Search. And it's a follow up to his massive hit album, Perception, which debuted at number one on the Billboard charts and ended up going platinum. The rapper who in his lyrics openly discusses Christian faith has seen crossover success. Uh, He'll be performing again for the second time at Lollapalooza this summer. Here's a clip of the song When I Grow Up. Yeah, I could go to college getting down like everybody else. Graduating, probably get a job that doesn't pay the bills. That'll make a lot of sense to me to get the happy meals. I don't like the dollar menu, I would rather make a meal. Huh? Make a meal? No, I said make a meal. Home cooking, get the grill. How you want it? Pretty well. Everything I see is overdone to me, I'm not a doubt. But I'ma get a record deal and say hello to my girl. Hey guys, seriously, will the real Slip Shady please stand up? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I like it, but it does sound very Eminem like. Does it not? I mean, I, I'm not the only one thinking. Eminem, Eminem seems to think so because he kind of called that F out. He did. He did. Yeah, I remember that. I think we talked about the hot list like a few months ago. But I, but hey, good for NF. I mean, he's kind of brought his own energy like to that song. style. I like the you song. Know? He's a very talented, talented artist. But yes, sounds a lot like another I artist. I couldn't do that. I can't sound like Eminem. You ever heard somebody try to do an Eminem impersonation? But, but, They're but, terrible. Yeah, well, well, and that's the thing, like... Eminem is on a short list of, you know, artists who are largely considered the greatest rappers of all time and really stands alone with his style and his lyrical delivery. So good for NF to kind of take that, uh, you know, style that maybe Eminem helped pioneer and bring like kind of a new angsty twist to it. Because the thing about NF, like, I feel like he did his when you when you listen to his music, he kind of tapped into something like Post Malone did, which was sort of bringing that like not adolescent, but almost that like um, emo type of self-reflection into his hip hop, into his lyrics, which is kind of a fresh take for that style on the genre. You know, it's not as dark lyrically as something like uh Eminem or not as like politically or socially charged as someone like Kendrick it does kind of tap into just that raw very personal type of reflection and emotion you know 
All right, coming in number two this week, uh, CCM star Nicole Nordeman wrote a moving Washington Post column pleading with Franklin Graham to help migrant children. Last week, she tweeted uh, Franklin Graham asking him to help migrant children in government facilities through his ministry, Samaritan's Purse. According to lawyers and a journalist who have visited the facilities, many of the children lack access to basic sanitation supplies, clean clothes, adequate food and water, and are forced to spend hours and hours in cages. One of the major initiatives of Franklin Graham's ministry, Samaritan's Purse, is Operation Christmas Child, which enables supporters to create and send shoeboxes full of supplies and toys to children in need around the world. So in her tweet, Nicole Norman volunteered to deliver shoeboxes to migrant children. And now in her new column, she's asking Graham to use his influence to help the children. Graham is a vocal supporter of President Trump, and he's also uh, has, you know, he has some influence with the president. So as she notes in her letter, you said on the Christian Broadcasting Network in 2018 that the zero tolerance family separation policy at the border was disgraceful and that you did not support it. About a week later, Trump signed an executive order to withdraw the original policy. She's asking Franklin Graham to lobby the White House to help migrant children at the border. She said, please ask Trump to sign the emergency legislation just passed by Congress that provides immediate aid and critical resources for children arriving unaccompanied at the border. Ask the president to ensure that our asylum laws are respected, ensuring that no one with a credible fear of persecution is deported to danger. Ask the president to undo the recent policy shift that has already forced 15,000 people to wait for months in Mexico for their asylum opportunity in border cities. Resources are depleted. U.S. legal counsel is scarce and children are at risk for traffickers. So far, there hasn't been a response from Franklin Graham. I'll say this. I, I, I am not like super familiar with Nicole Norderman's music. I know her name, but I, I can't say that I know any of her songs off the top of my head. But I've been following on Twitter for a while. She, man, she not only is she like woke, her like conviction to use her platform to speak out uh, against on issues that really any Christian should be concerned with. But for someone like her, where a lot of her audience, it's probably safe to assume are, are a bit more uh, probably conservative politically and socially. She hasn't been afraid to take some risk. And, and the, look, the Washington Post is probably the second most important newspaper in America and maybe in the top five in the world. And to write a column, an open letter, calling out a major evangelical leader to try to do something, to use his, to use his platform, man, I, more power to her. I, I mean, I was really impressed by that. I, I respect her a lot, and I I remember that I I grew up in a Nicole Nordeman household. The, the Huckabee family we're we're very into, her. so I am familiar with her with her music. And uh, and you know what? Actually, I know we give we give a lot of CCM a hard time on here, but but Nicole Nordeman is a she's a gifted songwriter, and her music was always uh, definitely stood out from a lot of the, the radio CCM stuff. It was very she was very good at what she did, and I appreciate she's a great Twitter follow. If you, if you're on Twitter, she is she she speaks with a lot of conviction. A lot of eloquence and is uh and i've appreciated her voice on this and a lot of other issues okay coming in number one this week on hot list michael b jordan could star in a new matrix movie the movie franchise that sparked a thousand sermon illustrations in the early 2000s could be returning um <laughs> jad uh, or chad uh, stahelski who uh recently directed john wick chapter three has started talk uh, that Lily and Lena Wachowski, the sibling duo behind the first three Matrix films, are working on a fourth installment in the franchise. He told uh, Yahoo Movies UK, quote, I'm super happy that the Wachowskis are not just doing a Matrix, but they're expanding what we all loved. And if it's anywhere near the level of what they've already done, it wouldn't take m- 
wouldn't take more than a call to go, hey, we want you to be the uh, a stunt guy. And I'd probably go and get hit by a car. It should be noted that a rep for Stahelski later tried to do some damage control, releasing a statement that said his, quote, comments were in response to a hypothetical scenario where the Wachowskis would be involved. And he did not confirm them being attached to the new film. So according to some industry insiders, the film will be shot in Chicago under the secret name Project Ice Cream. And Michael B. Jordan is attached to star. In fact, he's reportedly been attached to the project since 2017. There's no word on a release date. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Well, I, I, the, I like the subtext of this, too, that this director who's like sitting with Keanu Reeves, like is obvious, you know, he worked on, you know, this guy, the guy who did John Wick 3, like did actual work on the first three Matrix movies. And it's not you can read the Q&A, the transcript verbatim. It's not hypothetical at all. Like this was supposed to be a big secret. This is like the Breaking Bad thing. Like, don't tell anybody until we do the big reveal. And he's not typing. He's not talking hypothetically like it's definitely happening. I. I <clears throat> I don't know, man. I I feel like after the first Matrix movie, they could have just stopped there, to be honest. Yeah, like, exactly. I completely agree. It's exactly. like all we needed was one. We don't need four. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. get it. One, one I, was interesting. I think there's, a, I think, well, I got two thoughts about this. First of all, I think there's always, it's an interesting world. The right writer could come along and do sort of an interesting spinoff. I don't need a remake, but an interesting little, like, in another part of the Matrix cinematic universe, here's another story that, like, that. I think there's material there uh, given the right hands and the right script. Sure, it could be good. But the second thing is, I am way more interested in a Michael B. Jordan movie called Project Ice Cream that is actually about (laughs) some sort of ice cream project and would like that to be the actual movie. No, I I think that I I love Michael B. Jordan starting it. Like, I think that would actually give it some fresh life because, you know, I especially the Creed movies were great and, you know, Friday Night Lights and all that. But him as Killmonger in Black Panther, I th- I think kind of showed his ability to be the most compelling thing on screen when a lot is happening on a screen. But my only other hesitation is like the Wachowskis obviously are incredibly talented and are incredibly influential filmmakers. But since the first Matrix movie, I don't know that aside from just being, you know, very visually impressed by some of their films like Speed Racer or Cloud Atlas, I don't know that I've really cared about any of the movies as films, you know, like they they're, they've been incredible incredibly visually incredible visually but i but aside from the matrix i don't know any of them that are all that memorable all right well that'll do it for it's the hardest the hardest it's <laughs> so inspiring <laughs> i want to commemorate that in a tattoo form all right stay tuned up next we tell you about our hundredth issue of relevance a big deal stay tuned don't fast forward Listening to Moby Rich. The song is Sabotage. Well, this week we are debuting, premiering the 100th issue of Relevant Magazine. That is crazy. We debuted in print in March 2003, and uh, July 2019 is our 100th issue. Uh, to celebrate, we will be bringing you special articles, special uh, conversations uh, for the next month, all month long. This is like a 
Mickey's 50th birthday. It's like a year-long celebration when you go to Disney. That's what's happening this summer. We're celebrating the 100th issue of Relevant. Uh, and and the, the issue itself is a very special issue. It is not like any issue we've ever done, and we want to tell you about it. So joining us for this segment, obviously, Jesse Carey is with us, and joining us as well as our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Welcome, Tyler. Hey, guys. Uh, when, when we saw issue 100 on the horizon, our team started thinking and brainstorming, what do we want to do? Like, what would we want to do if, if we had a blank slate could create any kind of an issue? What should we do with 100? And so we didn't want it to just be a retrospective. We didn't want it to be a normal issue. We, we, so it's kind of a special approach that we took. Yeah. And this is where we're going to reveal it is a all magic eye issue. I can't believe we pulled this Hand off, draws. guys. It was, the, it was a huge challenge for our for our design team. It was pretty easy for the editorial process, actually, because there's no words. <laughs> well, the words kind of float <laughs> as you kind of yeah. You can see just like words. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, we uh, we you know relevant covers the intersection of faith and culture, but it's more than that. You know the the name relevant. Uh, is the fact that God is relevant. Faith is relevant to all aspects of our life. So obviously it's a journey of faith uh, directly that we're on, Uh, but that also impacts our life, our career, our relationships, how we engage culture, how we view justice and engage justice. And that's what relevant covers. So to dive into that more deeply, we themed the entire issue into four sections, faith, life, culture, and justice. In each of those sections, we have a few things happening. One, we look back over the last 100 issues or 16 years and kind of talk about the tent poles of, uh, of what happened and what formed the movement of this generation and what God was doing in this generation during that time. So for the younger readers, uh, it might be informative. Uh, for the older readers... They're like, yep, been there, you know, and it's kind of instructive (laughs) and nostalgic and kind of like, look at what happened along the way. Um, It's important in any journey and any movement to kind of stop and have a halftime or have a, you know, rest stops along the way and reflect. And what is a halftime in a game? I mean, you analyze what happened in the first half and you change course and you kind of strategize for the second half. Right. And that's kind of what this issue is for, for relevant and really what God's doing in this generation. So it's really fascinating. So the, the God section, we have a, a, an in-depth conversation with a lot of the faith leaders that um, were yeah. pivotal in this movement. Uh, what, Jesse, remind me of the, the 10 or 12 people that joined us for this Q&A. So, so one of the things that we really wanted to do for each section was to represent a uh, you know diverse... Uh, panel of experts, of leaders, of influencers, of activists, of thinkers, of people who are not only leading the movement, but can also offer real insight into how, where we've been informs where it's going. So that means there are people like David Kinnaman, who is like an expert in stats and research. That means someone who's like an academic like Lauren Winner, um, who has been studying faith and faith trends for a long time, but also megachurch pastors. You know, we have Danny Liebscher and Carl Lentz in the um, in the God section, you know, uh, that's, you know, Hillsong and Jesus culture. We have leaders uh, like Yumeki Yon, who is an expert in race in the church. We have people more on the more progressive side, like Jen Hatmaker. Um, we also have uh, like worship leaders, you know, Carrie Job is part of the story. So it's a really diverse group, not just in demographically, 
you know, in terms of race, age and gender, but also ideology. We have a lot of people from across the spectrum, which, Cameron, I know that's something that we've been very intentional about since the very beginning is, you know, many streams, one river. And that was really the goal with these is to have diversity, but also like a lot of different approaches to faith, justice, intentional living and culture. Well, and, and the faith in particular, you know, I, I, I feel like, well, and justice and others is, you know, one of the things we've been very intentional about, and that's unusual <laughs> historically in the Christian world, is we want to be bridge builders and we want to reach out to a variety of voices and leaders, you know, kind of outside of the bubble. And so that's why we cover a lot of the influencers and thought leaders that we do that are influencing mainstream culture. We talk within the church. We have, you know, a reform leader next to a charismatic leader and a Baptist leader next to a, you know, African-American church leader or something. I, you know, like we, we want to draw from a lot of different wells and number one, to illuminate the areas that we agree on, you know, yeah. what's the common ground of what God is doing and saying uh, outside of your own context. And two, to like be influenced by people that are in different aspects of faith or culture so we can like be stretched and challenged. And I think that that's how we grow. And I think it's an important thing. It's been there from day one with Relevant. And so it was really cool, like putting together this, these panels, these groups, like you, you just listed the, the faith panel, just to hear their variety of perspectives of what God has done over these last 15 years and where are we and where are we going? Yeah. And just to see the areas of agreeance and also different perspectives, you know, is it's really fascinating. And, yeah. it was, and one of the other, you know, cool things is like in these roundtables, too, we also offer this uh, kind of retrospective look back at some of the moments and events that really shape the movement that we've been privileged enough to cover and be a part of. And, you know. Cameron and Tyler, you guys know this, but, you know, for the last few months, we've all been digging deep into the archives. And like I have a stack of magazines that have been spread out on the floor of a room in my house for, you know, like, uh, you know, two months now that I've got to go through and remember how pivotal, how pivotal moments like the release of like Blue Light Jazz was or when Bono really linked arms with people like Rick Warren and cultural figures like Oprah and culture and the church and then commerce to try to combat the you know global problems and to see all these trends that emerged over the years that we can see not only um, how they might have evolved and how that we can kind of correct some of that evolution and make it more effective, but also look at the roots of it to really understand where we come from. And so that that was I mean, this issue was such a fun exercise in doing that kind of stuff. Because nothing that we're talking about like comes from a void. I think that's what a lot of what was this was a reminder for me for is that the things we're experiencing right now, there were people and moments and, and innovations and, and movements that brought us to that point. And being able to look back over the the timeline, which uh, which we all worked hard on, Jesse, you worked especially hard on, was was enlightening and and honestly uh, inspiring in a lot of ways. Yeah. The uh, question I have a quick question, Jesse. If for the last few months. You have a room in your house with the floors covered yes. with relevant magazines. How have you vacuumed? Uh, it is filthy right now. Uh, my whole family is sick with some sort of respiratory thing. And now that you say it, I think it's related. The other thing, Cameron, a lot of people don't know this. In yeah. the early days, we used some pretty cheap ink that I'm pretty sure <laughs> is toxic. And I'm very concerned. I think I have mesothelioma. I'm calling a local oh lawyer. That's gosh. a whole, that's, that's a story. Read about it in the next issue. It's a, it's expose yeah. on this bad ink. Oh my but, goodness. uh, uh no, but, and the, 
I, I, I do think it's fascinating too, like breaking this up into sections. Yeah. It's like, you know, it was really difficult because the whole point of relevant is that faith is intertwined in all these other things. So to kind of break off and have like a God conversation that didn't have a justice component or a, you know, uh, you know, how, you know, living differently component or a cultural engagement component was difficult. So, you know, but breaking into the other areas, um, you know, we had, uh, adjust the justice section. I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Uh, tell tell us the people, the panel, uh, that we gathered for the justice conversation. Yeah. So we had people like Jeremy Courtney, uh, who a lot of people know from preemptive love, uh, coalition, uh, Gary Haugen from IJM, uh, Kristen Wright, who works with open doors, Jenny Yang, who works with world relief. We also had, uh, you know, Lisa Sharon Harper, who is one of the most important voices right now when it comes to raci- ra- racial reconciliation, racial justice in the, in the church, Karen Swallow Pryor, who was recently on the podcast, who along with being a noted and very well-respected academic, uh, has also been, uh, a voice for uh, the pro-life movement in, in a very respected capacity. Uh, Kyle Maynard Shep, who has written for Relevant, he's also, uh, you know, part of a climate change think tank that actually, you know, when AOC, uh, the 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 lawmaker, you know, was trying to push forward the climate change uh, legislation, she actually tweeted something that Kyle had written for Relevant. Um, so, I mean, across, you know, the justice section, the, the, the encouraging thing is like, you know, there was a lot of crossover, like in the God and culture, like we have several people from the movies or, or from music or several pastors. The justice section, it was somewhat unique in that all of these people are super, super passionate about what they do and what they're a part of. But there, a lot of them are distinct areas that they as Christians, as leaders are taking on, whether it's race, the environment, life. Uh, anti-poverty, um, you know, th- this that was a section I was really proud of, of, of how it all came together. It was interesting to see there the, the teamwork at play there, the way that all these justice sections are distinct, but also really linked, right? The the way that uh, the climate change is going to affect poverty in other countries, uh, the way that the pro-life movement has also taken on immigration as a major cause. These people don't see themselves as working on different specific areas so much as they see themselves as each taking part of a broader justice movement that is dependent on uh, all of them working together and succeeding. I think it's been interesting. I think one of the defining characteristics of what God's done in this generation uh, has been the integration of uh, faith and justice. So, you know, growing up in the church, it was historically, anytime you talked about Africa, it's about missions, you know, and, yeah. and, and now as a natural and uh, essential part, an out, outgrowth of our faith, you know, how we engage justice and, and those you know, the, the importance of the others and uh, not yourself, I think is, is something that has form been formative in this generation. And I think will pivot and change how the church looks yeah. and engages the world for generations to come. And I think that's been really important. We talked about that in the issue uh, in the culture area. Um, you know, obviously relevance kind of known for the intersection of faith and culture and having celebrities on the cover and things like that. Uh, it was a lot of fun to, a little embarrassing, kind of looking back over the last sixteen years. Uh, there's a few, a few strikes and gutters, man. Yeah. Strikes and gutters. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we did, we did our fun. best. Every issue. 
you know, hey, let's just say music and, and art and entertainment has gotten a lot better than it used to be. Uh, looking at the covers was a big reminder of that. Um, but we've had some fascinating conversations over the years with people who are kind of influencing culture and the world through entertainment, especially. And uh, uh, talk to us about, uh, you know, what we did in that section. Yeah. So, I mean, we tried to, even though, you know, the uh, people, the most of the people we talk to are involved in, you know, music, movies, uh, TV, a lot of them have really distinct approaches. So you have, you know, in that section, people who are kind of more uh, worship-centric, but are also kind of pushing that forward musically, like a John Mark McMillan or like a Lisa Gunger. We have people in hip-hop like Fern from Social Club Misfits, like Derek Minor. You know, when on the movie end of the spectrum, you know, we have someone who's like an insider, like a Jonathan Bach, uh, but we also will have like Jerron Smith, who is the CEO of Unanimous Media, the company founded by Steph Curry. And it was just on the cover of Hollywood Reporter that is dedicating themselves to making faith-based films that really up the quality. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Amina Brown, who is a really, you know, well-respected spoken word poet. Uh, you know, we have uh, an, an artist that's sort of a crossover artist that has a really interesting backstory in uh, Caleb Chapman, you know, the son of Stephen Curtis Chapman, who's in a really popular indie rock band that, you know, you can go see like on Lollapalooza, you know, the spectra, uh, you know, Natalie Manuel Lee, who, you know, is an Instagram influencer who has kind of leveraged that into this talk show host for Hillsong Channel, where she's sitting down with people like Haley Bieber, you know, uh, the spectrum there is really interesting. But what I found most interesting about that section is how many um, of how uh, non-separated culture and faith have become. I mean, right. you know, last earlier this week, Cameron, you know, as listeners know, we had like Pete Holmes on the show. You know, Pete Holmes just had a show about him and his faith on HBO, you know, where right when we started, culture was at a place where it was noteworthy that like a, a band with like Christian roots, like Switchfoot would have a top 40 hit. That wall between sacred and secular has really dissolved in a lot of ways when you look at, um, you know, artists like Chance and Kendrick. Um, and I think what you'll see reading the roundtables and reading all of the, all these perspectives is that no matter what someone's, you know, these individuals faith backgrounds is, you know, their voice into culture isn't limited to just the Christian world. Like they are really, you know, these are voices that are making an impact, uh, you know, in the mainstream world as, as well as kind of like the traditional quote unquote Christian market. And one thing that I really loved seeing is the way that these uh, there, there's like a lot of different approaches to how faith should interact in the pop culture sphere, um, whether it be should you cross over from one side, how explicit should you be about your faith? What will our audiences tolerate? And again, this is an example of people who don't really see those things as being in contention. That This is not a, a group that it was fighting over whether over who had who was doing it the right way. Um, they, they work together. They appreciated each other and they uh, recognize that around rising tide raises all ships, right? So there's room for somebody like Lecrae and somebody like Chance the Rapper in the same industry, both talking about their faith, doing it in very different ways, uh, and both uh, raising the profile of the ways that faith can be involved in pop culture. Uh, and I think that that's something that's important for, for us to remember, too, in these conversations. It's something the industry insiders that we talk to certainly have figured out. It's, it's the the big shift when when relevant started, man. It was like us versus them, sacred versus secular, yeah, yeah, yeah. huge wall. You're in the you're in our camp or you're in their camp, and that's it. And and I just was like, that is not what the Bible says. I mean, it says we should be in the world yet not of it. We should be light in the darkness. 
the previous generations, if if you're looking back, hindsight's 2020, previous generations kind of like were scared of out there, right? Uh, the world is getting worse. Uh, culture is negative. Satan's everywhere. So we're going to build yeah. a safe little bubble. We're going to retreat and we're going to huddle together and we're gonna just going to wait till Jesus comes back because the world's getting worse and it's going to hell and we're just going to protect ourselves. This generation came up and said, no, 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 no. The Bible talks about going into all the world. The Great Commission talks about we got to go engage. And so instead of leaning back and away from people different than us, this generation is leaning in and, le- and reaching out and wanting to engage culture, influence culture and shape culture versus being afraid of culture. And again, that's the bridge building. That's the intentionality uh, that we've been about since day one. And that comes out in this conversation very, very yeah. clearly. Another big area is that we covered is life and how our faith changes how we engage life and live with intentionality. Uh, tell us who the panel was for life. Yeah, this one I'm, I was particularly proud of because when it comes to like uh, these life issues, like, you know, how do we live intentionally in ways that affect all aspects of our lives, you know, uh, for God's kingdom. So that that can be your relationship, your job, your career, how you think about money, just how you think about yourself as a person and deal with issues like mental health. And so, you know, when we're putting together this panel, we wanted to cover that full spectrum. Like if you're living life in your 20s and 30s, you know, these are the issues that day to day, you know, are, are really uh, meaningful. And so we have, you know, people like, you know, Liz Bohannon and Blake Mikowski to talk about the, the you know, commerce and, and, and social entrepreneurism and using things for good. We have people like John Acuff, who talked to us about finance and career. And, you know, he kind of, you know, was one of the big voices in that side hustle movement from a few years ago and, you know, really challenged people to think differently about their careers, you know, from the spectrum of technology and bioethics and where we're headed, you know, from a technological standpoint, the issues that we need concern with. We have Nigel Cameron, who's an incredibly well-respected academic. You know, we have Jamie Trukowski to talk about uh, mental health. We have Joe Saxton and Bianca Oldthoff who are talking about a lot of the issues of like developing into a better person and living your day-to-day life, you know, whether it's on social media or in your relationships or in your career in a way that's going to build others up and build the kingdom of God. You know, on the relationship spectrum, I feel like one of the most interesting names in this round table was Josh Harris, who is someone who has sort of done a 180 on his views about relationships. You know, he kind of rose to fame, uh, you know, two decades ago with, at least with his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, something that he has since apologized for and has really, you know, shaped the way that a lot of Christians feel about dating. We also have, uh, you know, someone on the panel who's, who's like an expert in kind of uh, uh, current events and lifestyle issues that uh, are really important. You know, Sarah Bessie who's written for the New York Times and, and a lot of other really well-respected outlets. So this is a really well-rounded and really challenging section. And I think one that most clearly illustrates illustrates how far we've gone when it comes to those issues like that affect our day-to-day lives since we first started the mag. I I really loved how this section came together because it's not an easy thing to to talk about intentional living. It's it's so complicated and it grows more complicated, it seems like from our perspective all the time with digital media, with the with the advent of of, with the new justice movement, uh, with the the sort of like woke social media movement that that can feel like it it gets very, very difficult to know what's right and what's wrong. And these voices Voices all handled it so well. Yeah. I was just so grateful. I learned a lot reading through these. I wish we could have included the entirety of all of their answers. We, we had to cut some of them down a little bit, um, which 
I'm glad we get these well, uh, to air some of them on the podcast here because exactly. it was yeah. so cool to read these. Yeah. If only, if only we had a, <laughs> there was a web, <laughs> web publishing strategy to go deeper throughout the next two months. Uh, I'd say this is the area that's changed the most. I mean, obviously the advent of social media permanently changed everything, right? Uh, I would say uh, the, the, the change in how this generation has uh, talked about and engaged mental health uh, is, is significant. Yeah. But uh, I think the biggest thing uh, one of the biggest things uh, that we've seen is, you know, 15 years ago, every college kid wanted to start a band and now every college kid wants to start a 501c3. And, and I think the rise of activism, uh, which then led to a more uh, activism is difficult, right? Fundraising or just awareness is difficult. So what's the more sustainable model and so the creation or the advent of social entrepreneurism yeah the Blake McCoskeys and the Liz Bohannons I think is really interesting how we can engage commerce and business in a way that makes the world a better place yeah and this is an outgrowth of faith that this is like you know Jesus called us to make a positive difference in our worlds and it doesn't have to be world like global it could be world like your world the people around you and your 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 world uh, but that we are called to leave a positive mark as a, as an expression of our faith and uh, people are doing that in business and in life. Uh, and, and in so many ways, it was really fascinating to read in this issue. So uh, there's, there's timelines. We pick our top albums of the last hundred issues. Uh, there's a that lot was of easy. <laughs> <laughs> that, no stress there. A lot of fights, lot, <laughs> lots, lots of fights. Um, we, once, but, one staff member did not make it through. <laughs> yeah, that, that is actually <laughs> flowers can be sent to his home. <laughs> but we, we uh, oh, that's terrible. But that is there true. There's a fight to the death. Um, There's a literal cage match in the office. Two men and one was, left. And it now is a definitive list. list that you cannot argue with. Uh, that we rank the definitive rankings of the albums and Tyler does not agree with number one but Jesse and I <laughs> feel very very strongly about it so. I wasn't gonna say it. I, I was trying to get Bruce it. Springsteen okay. number one and we were just not having it not this you're, time. you're number one in my heart Bruce <laughs> <laughs> well go goes. check it out 100th issue is out it's a big deal uh, like I, like we said we will be bringing you web content uh, podcast content and other special experiences throughout the next couple of months we also at relevant store have special collector bundles we have go check them out we have like selections of the best cover story issues and here's like a pack of five or if you want to go deep or you happen to own like a library and you want all 100 issues we got that too so go check it out at the at the relevant store um 100 issues guys Jesse, you've been part of the majority of them, man. Yeah. Congratulations, well, man. Quite a ride. Congratulations to you too, both you guys. It's been, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, part of the fun was looking back at, you know, all the, all the bad, things we've how done. How bad some of the covers were? Yeah. Do you remember your first cover, Jesse? Uh, the first cover that you, actually, that you wrote? Oh, uh, the first cover story I wrote was Mute Math. Uh, the first issue that I, something I wrote appeared in it, I believe, was Mace. Uh, so well, if that tells you anything, it's been a while. Well, that, that, tells, that tells me a lot. <laughs> it, it was from a distant long time ago when people would consider putting Mace on the cover of a magazine. So <laughs> I have, uh, I was looking for certain covers or whatever and asked one of our employees, one of our current employees, hey, do you have, do we have the Mace issue here? And she, being one of our younger employees, looked at me dead in the eye and said, 
what's mace? (laughs) And I went, oh no. (laughs) You know what? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Show, Didn't stand the test of time that day. I will say it. this: I, when I was thumbing through that issue, I was wheezing through the dust and the deteriorating ink <laughs> right. that I'm pretty right. confident has poisoned my blood. Um, yeah. And I saw that the, back then, Cameron, we used to do at the end. You know, what, now it's sort of evolved. It's now uh, you know we do like to do this uh, section of the magazine called Selects, where we we spotlight some artists that we're really excited about. But we used to do like small album reviews and small yeah. staff recommendations. And even though uh, I don't even think I was on staff officially yet. I was asked to do a staff recommendation and I did the killer's hot fuss like two weeks after it came out and that album still holds up and I stand for that. I could have picked something very embarrassing. That was like 2005. I could have picked something that would humiliated myself, but that stands in print and Hey, look, that's a good album. You know, just a little little trivia for you. You you passed over the opportunity to uh, for Eiffel 65's, I'm blue, I'll be die, I'll be die. To be, that could have been it. That could have been I'm it. But instead. <laughs> All right. Well, go check it out. The issue 100 of Relevant premiered this week. Um, wow. All right. Stay tuned up next. Tadashi joins us. Listening to Elenium and John Bellion. The song is Good Things Fall Apart. Tadashi is a rapper on Reach Records, and throughout his career, he's assisted in planting churches uh, throughout the country, and he currently serves at Texas's Village Church. You might have heard of it. Tadashi is one of 40 artists, influencers, activists, leaders, and academics featured in the 100th issue of Relevant, in which we look at the state of culture, justice, the church, and intentional living, where we've been and where we're going. Um, J- uh, Tadashi was part of the faith conversation, right. the faith section. And what we have for you is a couple of clips, a couple of parts of our conversation with Tadashi. Yeah. The reason, like you were saying, uh, Karen, that we wanted to include Tadashi is because his his background is so unique and that he's been involved in church planting. He's been involved in professional ministry. And he's also, a, you know, an artist that we really like. So, you know, he has a, um, you know, a, a very interesting perspective. And one of the things that we wanted to ask him about in particular was what was some of the developments in the last 20 years that he is most encouraged about when it comes to the church. And what he said, you know, we heard echoed a little bit, but uh, I want I want people to hear what Tadashi has to say about diversity. I would think one of the most encouraging developments would be the pursuit of honest dialogue around around the ideas of um, race and social justice. I remember having a conversation with someone and it was a very it was a very eye opening eye opening conversation about the whole phrase of Sunday mornings are the most segregated times on uh, in America. And from that, I've been a part of several different uh, church plants, as well as just friends that uh, are members at churches that I visit, where the, the congregation, the membership has gone from such a homogenous ideal of representation of the faith to this very integrated, 
effort toward an idea of representing Christ, which has been, I think, largely in part to whether you have black or Hispanic leaders like in Houston or in Atlanta, the two places that I've lived that I've seen these these people plant churches and, and have this mixed race congregation, or you have places in Dallas where I've lived, just I've seen the picture of it take place. And so I, I, I mentioned that because it's in these places where people have kind of decided to to link arms that they've been faced with having to really know one another, um, which is in turn fostered a lot of, I think, healthy dialogue. I think there's still a long road ahead, but in some, in some of these places that I've experienced, I've seen that be an agenda on the table. That, that was one thing I think we, we had heard, you know, to varying degrees throughout the, particularly the God Roundtable, is the evolution of how the church, uh, you know, deals with issues concerning race. But what I really like, you know, Tadashi, how he framed it is, you know, he's encouraged by the intentionality of creating diverse congregations. Um, and how that really doesn't just benefit the congregation, it really benefits the church as an institution because you get these advanced perspectives on really important issues. Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. And I like how he highlighted the, the sort of the byproduct of diverse, of a more diverse congregation is a more, is a more diverse, like train of thought. Like yeah. you're, you're not just bringing in people who look different, but people who think different, who have who've seen things you haven't seen, experienced things you haven't experienced. It makes for a stronger, um, better church, not just one that, that has a more appealing, diverse uh, picture of it to put up on the website, you know? It, well, one of my favorite mm-hmm. answers, and this is something that we talked about in the roundtable, uh, you know, is about the perception that's actually gotten worse. Like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like we were talking about with diversity, there's a long way to go, but the church has gotten better. But one thing that's gotten worse is more and more people perceive uh, Christians to be judgmental uh, culturally. And, you know, that's something the research has bared out and, you know, different experts within the piece were able to talk about. But you know, I really like what Tadashi had said because it's very solution-oriented on how we can switch that perception moving forward. Uh, here's, here's what he said. On one hand, Jesus said, they'll know us by our love one for another. So in that, I think we can automatically begin to address that, that concern by the way that we, in fact, love one another. And I only bring it up because I think of First Thessalonians when Paul says, hey, the love that you have for one another has been so great that it's pressed forward the gospel into the outer regions, like into places like Achaia. However, abound more in love. And you're going like, what? I just, we've been, you said we're doing great. You said it's been, been spreading. Oh, you want us to, to grow in that and continue with them. Got you. And so I don't know why, but I feel like the love we have for one another could abound in a way that we haven't yet either given room for or that we have, but that we've gotten stagnant in, um, weary in. And so I know in the places where I've been on staff at churches or just serving in different ministries, when people come up there, I've had it happen where people say, yo, I don't know what it is about you guys, but y'all are different. And clearly I'm, I believe there's a light shown that the Bible talks about, but, but it's through the lens of the love that we've expressed. And even people have said, man, y'all really love each other. I don't get it. You know, I, I just don't understand it. Even all my own relatives would visit may go, this is so, this is so intense that I would call it fake. Cause I just can't believe 
people that love each other like this. And I'm going, no, I think just because of the love of Christ that we share, this is real. You know, a lot of people rightly will look at how the most vocal, um, you know, people who are looked at as Christian leaders or influencers engage social issues. And, you know, the perception of judgment is built around what they say. But I like what Tadashi is saying here that, like, let's first focus on how we're treating each other. You know, like, let's make that a priority, too, because when people see that they want to be a part of it. And all of a sudden, those perceptions about, you know, being judgmental melt away because you see real genuine love within these communities. Yeah. Yeah. That was really that was super cool. That's a that speaks very, very highly of his church. Let's do let's do one more clip. And I, I want I, I like uh, uh, this is another one that I felt like was this is a really challenging answer because we, we we ask a lot of our panel in the God section of how do we get better at evangelism? Uh, because that is something again, we wanted we wanted these roundtables to be based and informed by, you know, actual research and stats. And one of the stats that there's a, this massive decline in what we think of as evangelism. And this is something that, you know, who better to ask than people that are serving on the front lines of ministry throughout the, the world and the country. And so when I asked Tadashi about how uh, we could better be equipped for evangelism, I, I mean, this is a challenging answer, especially for people who are like into churches, kind of building their brands as institutions and not focusing so much on getting people into the church, but getting them into, you know, the little C church, but getting them into the big C church should be the priority. Uh, here's what Tadashi said. Evangelism has been um, eclipsed by outreach. And what I mean by that is we've, we've basically found a way to win people to our services and yet somehow been at a loss for how to fully engage them with the gospel to win them to the Lord. And that's across the board. Like I've, I've had tons of friends that I've invited to churches um, excited because I know that day they're going to hear the gospel, but I've not taken in a sense, a personal ownership of pursuing that person with the gospel beyond church invitation. And I don't necessarily want to belittle church invitation. I think that's a big deal and a part of the process for some people. And it's just seen in a few experiences, it just seems like the outreach began and ended with getting them to church. Man, you know, evangelism, evangelism has been eclipsed by outreach. That is a loaded challenge. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's, a you know, because it's easy to conflate those two things, but what he's saying there is like, this isn't about building a local church. This is about discipleship. This is about relationship. This is about getting people in the door. And if we want to change evangelism, we don't, we don't just need to, you know, change how we doctrinally approach people and engage in difficult conversations. No, we need to reapproach what we think about outreach. This isn't just building small kingdoms. It's building a big one. And so, man, his perspective, again, all of the names that are in this issue, I'm so proud of this issue because I really did feel like we strived to, to bring a perspective that comes from a lot of angles and having someone like Tadashi who's in the, in the music world, but has also had done so much in the ministry world was super valuable. And just one of the, the mil, many brilliant people uh, that we were privileged enough to talk to in, in these round tables. Well, that was Tadashi. Uh, if you want to check out more of that conversation, um, uh, check out relevantmagazine.com. Issue 100 is there for the viewing.
listening to Cold War Kids. They're back. Song is Complainer. All right, we're mixing things up this week. Uh, normally, we do our feedback segment on the Tuesday show, but you know why not? Let's mix it up. So it's time for your feedback. So on last Tuesday show, not Tuesday, but the one before that, we got talking about waterbeds and about leaky waterbeds and and Eddie's uh, memories of his dad trying to plug the leaky waterbed into much frustration. And so our question of the week was, we want to know what's the funniest thing you've witnessed involving a minor catastrophe and someone getting irrationally angry. Now, to be to, to be honest, over the weekend, uh, other things had taken over the relevant podcast Twitter feed. You guys got talking about a bunch of other stuff. So there's not a ton of feedback, but uh, there's some good stories. I, I want to tell, I want to read the first one from Taylor. And I have a theory because this, this question had like two parts. We wanted to hear what horrible thing happened and the reaction from yeah. the person that was irrationally angry. I have a theory about the first one I'm going to read. Now, the name is Taylor and the, in the image that I saw on Twitter was it, it, it was a, a woman. I think, here's my theory. I think the dad listened to the podcast yeah. who was the, who was this perpetrated on, and he was the one that got irrationally angry. And I think he took to his daughter's Twitter account to tell the horrible things she did and left his <laughs> anger part out. And he's just saying how horrible it was. I'm going to read it as if I'm the angry dad, okay? That Because that's my theory. He's exposing something terrible that happened. One summer for an outdoor house party, we slash they hid the yard sprinkler in the garage, forgetting it was on a timer. Next morning, the entire garage was soaked. Tools, electronic, luggage, <laughs> etc. We put it all in the driveway. People thought it was a yard sale. <laughs> She said they put it in the driveway to dry out. And yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely the angry dad. Like he's still like that happened when Taylor was in high school. Taylor's probably about to graduate college. And Taylor's dad is still so fuming about this that he hacked her Twitter account. That's my theory. I think it adds up. Uh, Katie said, my friend Kelsey had a waterbed from age three to eighth grade when it popped at her Christmas slumber party. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm bummed. I'm bummed that I missed the waterbed talk because I had one kindergarten through high school the whole the, you, the whole entire what? time. Absolutely, yeah, this is true. This is true. This is yeah. a real story. Who gives a kindergartner a waterbed? Can I be honest with you? Hold on. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. I don't. I think that I I read a study one time that people who had a waterbed for more than four years of their youth. Now yeah. you had one for. To, you know, 12 Ten, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, are in prison right now uh, for very <laughs> horrific, very horrific crimes. I I'm shocked really, you're not. I'm shocked you're, you're, you I, haven't acted out. I, this is, no, this is this is a fact. 83% of people who had uh, childhood waterbeds are now addicted to meth. So 83% addicted to meth. <laughs> a lot of people have tracked the opioid epidemic back to the waterbed trend back in the to 80s. Waterbeds. I don't get the connection. I'm just telling you Correlation, causality, who knows? Who knows? We just, there's a reason we're getting waterbeds off the streets, okay? They lead nothing but to deviancy and addiction. <laughs> you can't spend that many nights, you know, sensually floating on a big pod of water and not turn out like a creep ball. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> 
right, so Tyler, tell us, like, tell, what was it like growing up on a waterbed? I I don't know, man. I when you're when you're raised in a waterbed, yeah. you don't realize how weird it is that you're in a waterbed. You know what I mean? So it didn't occur to me until much later, like embarrassingly later, that this was like a very that I was living like sort of a, a '70s lounge star as a as like a Nebraskan 14 year old in in the Great Plains, and I would go up and and I was the only one in my house. Like my brother and sisters didn't. I don't know. I don't know. Regular fans of the pod, mom and dad can chime in. There's a difference between living in like the suburbs of Las Vegas and having a waterbed, you know, because of that, you are just a creep ball. You're just a guy that ends up Uh having a van with a mattress in the back and it's kind of sketchy. To someone in Nebraska having a waterbed, <laughs> you're a serial killer. You are straight up Jeffrey Dahmer. At that Actually, point. I'm I'm curious in in your in your world there. Yeah, did you think it was super cool? You thought it was cool. Like, did I your friends think, think it was cool? I don't think I. I feel like I'm like a guest on a podcast now. <laughs> I guess I can, but I I don't feel like it ever even occurred it really I can't tell oh, stress how normal it was how it how like unaware I was that. It was even it's like this is just the bed I'd always had. It was just uh, it was just my okay. water bed. Here's here's my other theory, Cameron. We you know Tyler's talked about this. It's not like I'm outing you, Tyler, but Tyler, you've talked yeah, about yeah. how you were homeschooled. Yeah, I don't I think have. the public school would let you in if you had a water bed. I think they <laughs> I think, fill, I think you fill out a form to be like, are you vaccinated? <laughs> you know what grade level? Do you have a water bed? If so, no, 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 not anywhere <laughs> near here, kiddo. Sorry. I have thought in retrospect that it probably was part of like. It was probably part of the reason that if I struggled romantically in high school, which I didn't, <laughs> but I think, but I think when I, when you like it, it was just that many of the time. women that actually got back to me were actually in their forties. It was weird, <laughs> creepy waterbed stuff. It was waterbed stuff. Okay. I don't, I don't like talking about it. I'm just saying this waterbed stuff guys. And it did, it did pop on, on more than one occasion. I did wake up in like a pool and like a actual swimming pool, like just waking up at night and I'm just there like water, underwater, underwater as a child. Oh no. This is the first time it popped. That's when you get a regular mattress. I wasn't wasn't buying my mattresses at the time. I was a child. No, your parents. I'm saying, oh, my child's bed just It's so weird. I'm going to replace it with a non-water filled bed. Okay, here's what doesn't add up about this story. Help me out here, Cameron. I don't think Tyler has the reflection to see this objectively. He's too close to the situation. He slept on that thing for 12 years. Yeah, it's like a family okay. pet. It's a friend. Yeah, so, so his his parents you know, are purchasing bedding for him, themselves, and his siblings. Yeah. And for some reason, they're like, oh, now we got to pick up Tyler's. You know, we got his brother a race car bed. That's pretty funny. You know, we got us the, the Sealy Postropedic. You know, what, what, what does old Tyler yeah. get? Well, he's a waterbed kid for sure. It's, there's nothing else we can do <laughs> about it. Honey. A he's a waterbed kid. kid. I don't know what went wrong. I don't know, but he's a waterbed guy. Because right, because he said he was in kindergarten when he got it, so it's not like yeah. he's like a twelve-year-old going, "Mom, I really want this cool bed." No, no. he was. I had that no was, say. They they deemed you the waterbed child. They it wasn't me. like all they the kids me. had waterbeds. It was you. What about you said waterbed to them? I'm curious. That's I, I I've we, we could we could have him on the pod. I don't know. We could ask him. We could I could I have a lot of questions, but we could sort it all out. Now whenever I ask my wife if we can return like I think we should we should be the waterbed couple. I get weird looks even though as you should. It's what should. be the man I am today. One of the things I'm learning in the therapy parts of The Sopranos is she said on the episode I saw yesterday that all pretty much all psychology stems from things that happen to people in their childhood. Oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, 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 and how you responded to it or, or how you're acting out or you're aspiring to something. It's something from your childhood, always. Tyler, are you in therapy right now? Because I want you to be. I, I'm I'm going to counseling because you've not you, gotten into the water. I know. Stuff that's yet. What I'm Whenever saying. I bring it up, see, that's what I bring it up. Tony, He's like, we, we don't have time. Tony, don't, Tony, have time. Tony didn't want to talk about his mom. He didn't want to talk about childhood stuff. He he thought he was there for other reasons. It's taken years for for him to even accept the fact that things in his childhood are why he's having experiencing these things as an adult. Tyler, you need to go there. You're, if your counselor doesn't know that you grew up on a waterbed, she doesn't know to mine that with you. You need to deal with it, man. So, so what you're suggesting is that Tyler's waterbeds are the ducks in his swimming pool. Yes. It's this nuisance that is haunting him day and night. But he didn't even know it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you're suggesting that I need my, because my counselor, believe me, is aware of the waterbed situation. And whenever I bring it up, he gets sort of a dark look in his eye and he said, We don't, you're not outside of my pay grade. That, oh. That's not, that oh, you're is, trying to, the, you're putting it on the table. Please help me process this. And yeah. he's like, I can't help you. He said, he said that's too, beyond. That, wow. This is correctional facility. I think next <laughs> season, did, did you ever, ever see Mind Hunt? Another great Netflix show it was like David Fincher that like fell. It was like about a guy at the, it was like about the start of the FBI and this guy who yeah, like yeah. profiles serial killers. I heard the next season of Mindhunter, which has long been gestating and David Fincher and some of the best minds in Hollywood are working on is about Tyler's upbringing with a water bed. And it's just like, this is how we create the sickest person in the world. We put him on a waterbed from age four until he leaves his house. And the, the, the deviance he's capable of is unlike anything humanity has ever seen. In order to conquer evil, we must create evil and look it in the eye. And hence, Tyler's waterbed. Tyler, when you lay your head down at night and you lay down, mm-hmm. do you miss the gentle rocking of the waves? Oh. Do you crave... Oh your childhood home and the safety and nurturing that you felt in that space. So I'm, I'm 34 years old. So I'm still, still over half of my life was spent in a waterbed. We are still not <laughs> at the point where I have fully adjusted. Where I, fully adjusted yeah, right. I to, have uh, a theory. I have a theory. Yeah. Okay. The only other person that has ever slept in a waterbed from age four to graduating <laughs> high school ended up getting a giant bass guitar on his back. And if it wasn't for a literal miracle, would be a serial killer right now. Thankfully, he was lifted from his deviancy, you know, by the hand of God himself. Yes. But that's the only other guy. And he ended up with a bass guitar tattooed on his back. So, Tyler, I, I'm praying for a miracle because... Yeah. You know, I've got I, some tattoos. We, I've got g- some tattoos. I don't know if they're really quite as ways. dramatic as the as the bass guitar tattoo, but I'm working through it maybe a little slower than than our friend with the bass guitar, with the with the big back piece. I'll get there. Give me some time, all man. All right, I like. Okay, I, I need space. Jump. I need okay. space. All right, Ryan's. This one. This one made me laugh. Okay, a tar truck overturned in front yeah. of our house. It's on the main road in Ocean City, Maryland. In case you're wondering. The driver of a white luxury car thought his time was too valuable for a detour. So he, you know, you, I can just picture it in my mind, him like turning, like, oh, come on, and like coming good to go around. He drove across the liquid, liquid black surface and, you know, sprayed, uh, you know, you can just picture it spraying up everywhere. I watched karma splatter up his sheet metal. That, I That's love great. when people get angry in traffic. That's great. When it's outside of all of our control and then try to do some weird maneuver, you either get pulled over right away or end up like in a ditch or something. That is very satisfying. I like that. 
like the karma of that. I'll I'll always be here for people trying to trying to show like that they can make their own, but they don't need to abide by society's laws and then just immediately eating it in the face. Hey, Cameron, do you know do you know the the type of people that literally believe in karma and yeah. they're just like it's karma, man, like legit people that grew up on water waterbeds. <laughs> they get a lot of weird, you know, weird new agey stuff going on. Like that's, that's, hey, okay, that's what you, you know what came with the waterbed. Tyler, we talked this last week. It came with samurai swords. The waterbed. Yeah. It yeah. came with a lot of vape gear, early vape gear. Yeah. And I think some dream catchers too. I mean, just like <laughs> weird dream catchers just hanging around your room. That's the that's the waterbed and like a black light poster of something. Of a wolf. You know? Yeah. Of a wolf. Yeah, a wolf yeah. and then and then a Scarface poster. Even though you know, for even those people have never seen Scarface. Like that's that's what it comes with a waterbed. They just yeah. gift that stuff to you. Here's your dream catchers. Don't forget to hang those up all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will never I literally will never look at you the same Tyler now that I know what I know it's, a, it's probably still out I don't know where the water bed is now I never got I mean when I moved out of the house to go to college that was the bed I left behind <laughs> so it's still in your parents house probably I don't think so I don't know it's not I mean I, if it, it's not in one piece in my parents you know house. it would be very easy to have taken it with you you just drain it and roll it up and put it in your suitcase I mean you well, get I, th- it. I don't I don't think the the good, the good people of Moody Bible Institute would be interested in having a waterbed oh, in the no, dorms. No, 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 no. Yeah, you're that. There's no way they're letting. It's that bringing in a deviant lifestyle. Even, it's not in the dance there. You think they're going to let a waterbed anywhere near that place? Cameron, have you ever noticed that when we see Tyler after a long time, you go for a hug and it's like, "Hey, how are you, buddy?" He squeezes a little too hard and too long. That's a waterbed move. That's a guy who's a waterbed move. move. He doesn't know social norms right. when it comes to displays of physical affection. He, right. You know, waterbed just warps it for life. You know, I'm sorry, Tyler. I've been meaning to say something, but I have noticed everybody out. I have noticed when we embrace that your back is very tight. Uh, I wonder yeah, if that's, that's because a real it was, issue. I wonder if that's having because it was clenched for 15 years, you know, laying in that trying I'll to just stay could never relax. They couldn't ever relax fully because it was not I'm supported. Not, I'm not going to defend the waterbed situation. I'm really I'm not here. To, I'm not here to say that it was <laughs> yeah, normal a, or that it was losing or anything battle. like that. I will say that I grew up that I grew up just every night. I got to crawl and it was like sleeping on a cloud. Like a like, it was falling asleep on like a giant squishy balloon, and that did. I wasn't, and I wasn't. It felt. It was very. I slept great. Did you every day of my every day of my life? The fact that you slept great is making it way way worse because (laughs) that means you can. That means he he's someone who commit a a horrific act. They're like, how do you sleep at night? He's like, I sleep just fine. I grew up on a waterbed. You think you think (laughs) you you know that you hear about long term ex cons? They finally get released out into society and they don't know how to function in the real world. They need the structure. They need the the boundaries of that's all true. When you went to the Moody Bible Institute Mm -hmm. and and for the first time in your life. We're sleeping on a pedestrian mattress. Like a like a normie. Did you crave and long for your your water pillow cloud of home? And did it did it hinder your ability to adjust to the real world after <laughs> you left? It's, it's like it's like that scene in the Count of Monte Cristo where he's been sleeping on the floor of that cave for so many years. He eventually strikes it rich as a count, and he's got this giant bed, and he's sleeping back on the floor with no blanket. That's yeah. Tyler, like sneaking into like someone's covered pool in downtown Chicago, and just lying on top of like the leaf cover. You know, who's that kid out there? Why is he sleeping? Oh, he grew up on a waterbed. He can't sleep any other way. It's only. No, can't so. sleep any other way. It's the Count of Monte Cristo thing. You've seen it. <laughs> like three hundred little water balloons that I pile on top of my own mattress. Just 
<laughs> oh man all right uh it's time for this week's editorial question of the week well earlier in the show we we brought you for some reason we got talking about the jersey shore and and uh, the inevitable uh viewing of many 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 bad tattoos that jesse will uh endure over the last few days or next few days uh it got us thinking about bad tattoos and that's this week's question of the week we want to know the worst worst tattoo you've ever seen in the wild on an actual person describe it in full detail we want to know um and and then maybe your theory of what it meant or what their story was that they got it maybe that that'll help i like that yes please yeah that's a good what was in their head i think everybody understands now why i have why my knuckle tats are waterbed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it didn't make sense but now we know yeah, uh, yeah. so it's pretty straightforward hit, hit us up on twitter at relevant podcast or you can post your longer theories uh at on the uh podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. all right that'll be fun well many thanks to tadashi for joining us uh make sure to check out more of that conversation uh in issue 100 of relevant it is out now you can go to relevantmagazine.com, view the whole thing you can also subscribe there's a good deal going on we had a, a great sale going on for july 4th i think it's still running uh go check it out relevantmagazine.com, issue 100 of relevant it's also available at newsstands nationwide um and you know there you go go get it we put a lot of work into that thing Thanks also to Squarespace for supporting the show. Uh, go to squarespace.com slash relevant for free trial. And when you are ready to launch your website, use the offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Well, on that note, we'll wrap it up. Have fun in the Jersey Shore, Jesse. Thank you, guys. Good luck I out there, definitely man. Will. I definitely will. All right. Will. I'm, I'm Cameron String. I'm Chandler String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Relevant Podcast Network.